Well, I'm excited to be here with you tonight, and it's really neat just how the Lord works. I love that uh, final, in that final stanza, I rest in you, abide with me, actually goes very well with uh, what I, uh, the Lord has put on my heart to share with you all tonight about prayer. I think it's such a great idea to start the year by talking about how we can Um, be abiding with the Lord and how we can be growing in our spiritual life and putting forth ourselves in these spiritual disciplines. And so I actually want to go with that idea of abiding today. And the verse that we're going to start with is John 15 and verse 7. And I think even just being able to hear a little bit of Dave's message right before, just the way that the Lord has planned this, um, this evening is already very evident to me. And I'm thankful to be able to share a little bit about what God has put on my heart about, um, about prayer in particular. I have a picture up here about something that I really enjoy. I love pour-over coffee. And if you talk to coffee connoisseurs, and I'm not going to say that I'm quite to that level, but the manner in which you make a coffee connoisseur's coffee is very important. My personal preference is pour over. My beautiful wife, almost every morning, gets up and makes coffee, and we don't always get to have it together, but we we each have it. And um, I want us to think about the manner in which we do things. We could talk about coffee, but today I want to talk about the manner in which we abide in the Lord. And as the Lord was preparing to go to the cross and leave his disciples. In John 15, he talks about abiding. And I think that it's really interesting. John 15 and verse 7 really ties together our night very well. He first begins by talking about what I would call a prerequisite to abiding, the fact that we have received his words. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, that goes right along with what Dave was sharing a little while ago, how essential it is that we are people of the word. But then he says, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Now, that's going to be kind of the framework that I want to use. We're going to go some other places today, but we're going to end back here. Now, when people read John 15 and verse 7, maybe there could be two responses. Some of us might respond that you just add to this the arsenal of things against the Bible because that definitely can't be true. You can't just ask whatever you wish. God's not just a genie. You can't just say whatever you want and get that from God. Or maybe um, others of us that maybe have really great faith is, okay, well, maybe that's what I should do this year. Maybe I should really try that out. What European country do I want to go to? What vehicle do I want? Uh, What job would I like to change to? Well, What is Jesus saying that we can ask whatever we desire and it will be done for us? It either sounds too good to be true or disingenuous. How do we understand it? I'm going to come back to that. I'm just going to leave that. I'm going to come back to that at the very end. But what I want to do here first is I just want to define the word pray. If you look at something like the Oxford English Dictionary, you can uh, get some examples. But maybe sometimes we're... We think maybe of the old-fashioned, uh, I pray you do this. I am earnestly requesting that you, you would do this for me. But I think praying 
uh, implies a passionate plea or desire. It's to ask something earnestly. But the way that I want to describe prayer, there are three psalms that have really impacted my thinking of prayer in one particular area. I want to describe prayer tonight as lifting up our soul to God. I'm going to put three psalms up here. And in three psalms, David describes his praying as lifting up his soul to God. And you can see them right there. Psalm 25, 1, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Psalm 86, 4, for to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. And then again in Psalm 143 and verse 8, I lift up my soul. Lifting up our soul gives this idea of consecration, setting something aside for God, Or another way I think that we could even say this is giving ourselves to God. Now, when we read lifting up our soul, maybe what comes into our mind, like, am I lifting up my spiritual self, but my body is here? No, no, no. When we think lifting up our soul, think of David as saying, I'm giving you me. I am yours. This is the consecration type, giving ourselves over to the Lord. And so when we take this idea of, What is the way in which we are continuing in this ongoing relationship with Christ that has begun when we become a Christian? We ask that question. Of course, as we heard earlier, we have the word of God must be abiding in us. That is essential. And then there should be this response to that word. There should be this response in relationship that is very closely tied to prayer. And so what I want to do tonight is I want to take these three psalms that we just put up there, Psalm 25, Psalm 86, and Psalm 143, and the Lord's Prayer. And I want to draw out from those passages some important ideas about prayer. So if we're going to take prayer as being giving ourselves to God, how then do we give ourselves to God this year? And my goal is to show this from the Word and then to be able to have some times where we can apply it and then even, hopefully, Lord willing, tomorrow in the panel, we can even go even in more depth about ways to apply this. So there are three ideas that I want to talk about when we're giving ourselves to God. First of all, uh, giving ourselves to the presence of God. Giving ourselves to the presence of God. In essence, we want to be with him. We want to relate to him. Now, some of us, even though we just ate, are on our game And you want to say to me, wait a second, God is everywhere. We don't have to give ourselves to God's presence. He's already here. I mean, we're in the Psalms, right? Psalm 139, where shall I go from your presence? Where shall I flee from you? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. So no, I'm not just talking about the fact that God is omnipresent. I'm not asking, is God there? But I'm saying it's more in this idea Are we recognizing his presence? Are we cognizant of him being with us? I think I have up on the screen the beginning of the Lord's Prayer. And one of the things that the Lord's Prayer does for us initially is it immediately takes our mind to the presence of God. Pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven. We are immediately confronted with the reality of God, that he is here. He is our heavenly father, and he is good. When we come in prayer, it's interesting, the very next chapter, 
in Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord is going to say in Matthew 7 and verse 9 that this heavenly Father loves to give good gifts to his children. Just like earthly fathers love to give good things to their children, so God does as well. We should long to be in the presence of one so good and loving. I'm going to throw out a Latin phrase here, not because I just want to throw out a Latin phrase, but because I think this uh, communicates that we are in a long stream of Christians who have recognized the importance of this. It's the phrase quorum Deo, which means in the presence of God. And believers throughout history, throughout church history, have recognized the, pres- the, the necessity of recognizing that we are always living in God's presence. Yes, we are always before his eyes. He always knows. Yet to live in God's presence in a conscious sense is to be a person of prayer. This can be as simple as us driving to work in the morning and recognizing that we are about to head into that meeting with that individual that is very difficult for us to work with. And we say, oh Lord, I need you. God is here. God is going before me. It can be the situation of, let's take it the other way. This is my situation in life. I have four young children. And maybe it's the other end of the day, coming home after work. And we are coming home to children, and we don't know whether it will be chaos, whether what exactly it will be. And we come to the Lord, and we say, Lord, you are here. You are with me. Will you help me to be a father like you today in my, in my, in my stance? Recognizing in whatever our situation is that God is with us and that we need him, our father who is in heaven Psalm 143 was one of those passages where David speaks about lifting up his soul to God. And in verses 7 to 9, we see the way that David is thinking about God's presence impacting his life. Let me just read these to you. He says, Answer me quickly, O Lord, my spirit fails. Do not hide your face from me, or I will be like those who go down to the pit. Let me hear your loving kindness in the morning, for I trust in you. Teach me the way in which I should walk, for to you I lift up my soul. Deliver me, O Lord, from my enemies, for I take refuge in you. Just from there, one of the things, we can see at least three ideas that in verses 7 and 8, God's presence is what David sees as sustaining him. That, I mean, we can take this from one extreme to the other. God's presence is what, he is the one that gives me life. He is the one that gives me strength. He is the one who enables me to do what he's called me to do. God's presence in, at the end of verse 8 in that passage says, is what guides David. And then when he brings up his enemies, he sees God's presence as the very thing that protects David. And so when we recognize that we are like little children, we should be longing to be in the presence of our good and loving Father. You see, when we are... When we pray, we are giving ourselves to the presence of God to be with him. Do you want to be with your father? And give yourself to him and pray. In the same way that my boys, maybe when I get home, or my little girls will want to come and do something with daddy. The way that we do that, the way that we approach our God, we do so in prayer. Let me give you another one. And I'll apologize in advance. These are alliterated. I actually, when I first did this message, I kind of tried not to, but it just worked that way. So 
uh, deal with the P's today. Give yourself to the purpose of God. And I think that this is really important because this is one of the, maybe the aspects of prayer that sometimes we, we miss. There are times in our lives in which our problem is actually not God's direction. God's word is pretty clear, and when we, are, when, when we have his word with us, our problem is that we really don't want to do what God wants us to do, or we think it's too hard. And one of the ways, one of the purposes of prayer or one of the ways that we give ourselves to God is giving ourselves in prayer to what he has called us to do, to his purpose, saying that we want to be pleasing to him. And again, we do this by recognizing and submitting ourselves to the priorities of God. And I think that as we read the Lord's Prayer, this is one of the things that should really jump out at us, because what we find the Lord teaching us to pray reorients us to different priorities than what we typically have and possess. Prayer focuses us on God's priorities. Listen to this in verses 9 to 12 of Matthew 6. Here are the priorities of God. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Prayer focuses us on God's priorities, his purposes, that we want to be pleasing to him. We want to pray and desire as he wants to. Now, I'm going to, uh, many of us are familiar with the Acts prayer method, and I think I have it up here for us. And I don't choose this method necessarily because I'm saying it's the best method or the only method necessarily, but because it's illustrative of what I'm trying to show tonight. One of the things that this uh, method will do for us is it shows us how prayer reorients us to God's priorities. Let's start with the A. A is for adoration. And one of the things that this prayer method will begin is as we begin to adore the Lord, it shows that we are committed to his glory in the way that we say, hallowed be your name. We begin by, in our prayers, expressing what his name is, who he is, his character, and how great he is, reorienting ourselves to where our eyes are so often on us, who we are, what we need, and our issues, exalting God for who he is, showing a commitment to his glory. Obviously, we see that in Hallowed Be Your Name in the Lord's Prayer. Let me read a few of the, a few verses from those Psalms passages that I started off with. In Psalm 86, he says, For to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul for you. And now listen to the way he describes his God and character. For you, Lord, are good, ready to forgive, abundant in loving kindness, to all who call upon you. He goes on and he says this, there is no one like you among the gods, nor are there any works like you, yours. No one else is like you. No one has done anything like you. All nations whom you've made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and they shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous deeds. You alone are God. Now, I don't know about you, but do we ever need our attention redirected 
from whether it's the difficulties that are going around us, the political things that are going around us. The, do we ever need our attention to go from um, what's going on with me to hallowed be your name? Oh, Lord, you are so good, and no one is like you. Yes, we do. What about Psalm 143, verses 5 and 6? Listen to this. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all your doings. I muse on the works of your hands. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul longs for you as in a parched land. Do we ever need, whether in our, at our drive home from work in the, in the evening, when, the, when our shoes hit the ground from the bed in the morning, to just take a breath and then to say, Lord, I remember how great you are, and I'm so glad that you are abundant in loving kindness, that you are forgiving, that you, and we just start saying, God, this is who you are. Do we ever need that? Yes. This is the way in which we are abiding uh, continually in this relationship with the Lord. So this adoration shows that we are committed to his glory, that priority. What about confession? I think this idea of confession in this prayer method is showing that we are committed to his way of salvation. You know, one of the things that totally sets Christianity apart from any other belief system is that we can actually admit our failings and sins before our God and have confidence. And we say when we come in prayer, it reorients us because sometimes that, that, that sin, that guilt, that oppressive weight is what keeps us from going forward in the Lord. And when we come to him in prayer, recognizing who he is and who we are, it shows that we are, our minds are reoriented to the way that his salvation works that's so different from anything else. It shows both the need of salvation and the solution of salvation that he has taught us. Now, this is all throughout the Psalms. I'm going to go back through some of those Psalms that I mentioned. Psalm 25, verse 7. He cries out, Do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your loving kindness, remember me for your goodness sake, O Lord. Or what about this? Just a few verses later, he's again wrestling, and he just says, for your namesake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. Now that is a quick, simple, short prayer that I think can often be in our, we need in our arsenal. For your namesake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. What about Psalm 143, verses 1 and 2? Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my supplications. Answer me in your faithfulness, in your righteousness. And do not enter into judgment with your servant. For in your sight, no living man is righteous. Let's go to the next one, Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, I think, is really showing that we are reorienting to God's priority in this way. It shows that we are committed to his grace. It's showing and reminding us, even in the act of thanking the Lord, that we are admitting what he has said in his word. What do we have that we have not been given? What good is in our lives that has not come from the hand of a good and loving, gracious father. The psalmist recognized this going back to Psalm 86. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, with all my heart and will glorify your name forever. For your loving kindness toward me is great and you have delivered my soul 
from the depths of Sheol. He recognizes all that God has done in his life and will be forever thankful. Again, I don't know about you, but one of the things in recent years that has just had to become core to my, my uh, a lot of times I'll take a prayer walk right around lunch. That's one of the ways in which I, and, and, and this time of Thanksgiving, in the midst of the pressures, in the midst of the difficulties, to, in essence, every day seek to force myself in my time of prayer to come to the Lord and say, Lord, I've got to remember you are good and you have given me good things. Again, Coram Deo, living in the presence of God. The next is supplication. Word we don't use too much, but it helps in the acronym, at least, giving us an S. In essence, asking. Now, if we're honest, this is where we, we tend initially in prayer. But I think what this shows is, in a, from a theological perspective, it's showing us that we recognize that we are insufficient. When we ask for things from God, we are showing that we don't have everything we need, and we are dependent upon him. We are finite. He is infinite. Now, we see this in those psalms and in the Lord's Prayer. Obviously, we're familiar Give us this day our daily bread. We are dependent for daily necessities. Now, there are some times, especially in the Western world, in which we can forget that, right? But there are times in which we are reminded about how frail and fragile life is and how we are dependent even for daily necessities. One of the ones that uh, I hope we might be a little bit different from David on, but I'll still read this, at least from a physical perspective, that's deliverance from enemies. If you look through these psalms, uh, very often you'll hear things like this, Psalm 86, 14. Oh God, arrogant men have risen up against me, and a band of violent men have sought my life, and they've not set you before them. But you, O oh Lord, are merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness and truth. Turn to me, be gracious to me. Oh, grant your strength to your servant and save the son of your handmaid. Show me a sign for good that they who hate me may see it and be ashamed. Because you, O oh Lord, have helped me and comforted me. And I do hope that uh, that in a physical sense is not true of any of us. And I hope I'm not taking too far of a step spiritually here. If so, Pastor Nate can correct me afterwards. But we are at least told in the New Testament that we are not taking up swords and fighting. But we are told that we do wrestle against flesh and blood. Not against prince. We, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. My whole idea is this. What we can say, we do know that all throughout our lives, that we have an enemy who is out for our destruction. And I do think that it is appropriate to say things like we find in the Lord's Prayer, deliver us from evil. Deliver us from evil. That is an appropriate request it is a biblical request. What about support in suffering? And Dave mentioned before that we don't know what's coming this year, and part of his message, he just said something along the lines of, there could be some really deep valleys for us this year. The psalmists pray about things like that. Psalm 86, 6 and 7, Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Give heed to the voice of my supplications. In the day of my trouble, I shall call upon you, for you will answer me. Even things like guidance in life. Psalm 143.10, teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. My point here is, we do have many things. We are inadequate in many ways, and we are seeking 
we are, we are letting the Lord know that we are transferring our focus. We are recognizing his priority of showing his sufficiency in the midst of our insufficiency. Or in the words of Paul, I will most gladly, therefore, glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Even when we are asking, we are communicating God's priority of being all-sufficient. Now, I did not create the Acts method by any means, but if I was going to add to it, I would add I, but Axe doesn't quite work so well. So, I, but I am just going to say, if there is a specific, um, a specific manner of prayer and specifically supplication that I would add, it would be this idea of intercession, which shows that we are committed to his love. I think it's so easy. I have seen this in recent years in my life. It is so easy in our prayer times to unburden our hearts and our, you know, talk about the Lord, talk about our family, and then forget that people all around us have needs as well. And one of the things, Psalm 25 is one of my favorite psalms, and the last verse I puzzled over for, for a long time but in recent years, I've just come, I think, to understand it, and I, I hope this is correct. He finishes, after all these requests, talking to the Lord, and in Psalm 25, 22, the final verse is this, redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. And I like to think of Psalm 25 like this. It is the, the psalmist lifting up his soul to the Lord, giving uh, over everything that he is, all his struggles, all his problems, and he comes to the very end, and he, he, he says this, you know what, the people of God need you too. Redeem Israel, O Lord, from out of all his troubles. Yes, I've got lots of troubles. I've got all these things. But let me remember God's people as well. And I think that as we, as we have that idea, and even if we were going to add an I, just this idea of when we are praying and we are coming to the Lord, that this year we are to remember God's people as well. That we are in this together. That the Lord has called us to go forward together on our knees, and we do that together. I think in talking to Pastor Nate this week, I think it even came up <clears throat> that your church is doing something with prayer partners. I just think about how God could use something like that throughout this year as you, yes, individually are continuing as you abide in your relationship with the Lord, but then as you get along, you come along with another brother or a sister and you join together in praying for one another and for the needs of the church. How could God work in a powerful way through that. So, when we're talking about giving ourselves to God's purpose, he reorients us to his priorities in things like the Acts method. But I think also one of the things that prayer is intended to do is not just help us to see what God prioritizes, but to actually bring us to see God's perspective about life. You know, there are many times in which our prayer is actually meant to change our perspective. I don't know about you, but I know there have been times in which there's a difficult situation in my life, and the, the truth is, Lord, I would not have chosen this for me. I would not have put this in my life. And actually what prayer is, it is the, and we see this in the Psalms, the psalmists come to the Lord, and it's like through their prayer, it's like the Lord reorienting to his perspective. I think that maybe the best example of this is Psalm 73, where Asaph looks out and he sees the world and he just begins to say, do you know what, is, you know, is it really worth living a godly life? Maybe it's not. And then you see him just start going through these prayers and then he says, 
And then I went into the sanctuary of, of God and I remembered. God reoriented his perspective to the appropriate things. And really, this is the whole Lord's Prayer. It's, yes, showing God's priorities, but it's also showing me the way that God sees the world as opposed to the way that I see the world. Just like in marriage, we come into it having our own perspective, the way we do things, the way we cook this food, the way we do this chore, whatever it might be, and we come in contact with someone who has a different perspective, and we are constantly learning from those, and we are having our perspective shifted. God is doing that, and he does it through his word, and he brings us to that as we are praying. I love what Dave said earlier, this idea, one of, one of his, I can't remember, number three, was pray the word. And sometimes when we come to something that's very difficult for us to take from the word of God, it's when we begin to pray through it that God uh, uh, brings us to accept it. So, God's perspective instead of our natural perspective. Let me read you a few verses and show you how this happens in, in the Psalms. Psalm 25, 8 to 10, shows how he can change our perspective to, from our troubles to his goodness. Listen to this. Verse 8, good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in justice. He teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are loving kindness and truth to those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. Now, David has just been praying and committing all these troubles and difficulties, and then he just starts talking about God's character. He switches from his issues to who God is. Psalm 86, verses 1 to 3, shows how we can shift our perspective from our own inability to God's sovereignty and strength. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am afflicted and needy. Preserve my soul, for I am a godly man. You, O you, my God, save your servant who trusts in you. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I cry to you all the day long. Does that sound like a man who's just saying, I can handle life on, myself, on, on my own? I've got this. No, it's, it, it's his perspective is being shifted from his inability to saying, God, this is who you are. I know who you are, and I am in need. I won't go through all these, but Psalm 25 also points takes us from our own selfishness to his compassion or from our own desires to his will. Listen to Psalm 86, 11. Teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. One other I do want to highlight, though, is he can also shift our perspective from our own failures to his commitment even in the face of our failures. If we're honest, one of the things that hinders us from praying is that very often we have such a, a load of whether it's guilt or pain over something that's, that we've done. And I think what the psalmists show us is that prayer is a wonderful opportunity for us to shift our, our, our focus from our own failures to his commitment, even in the face of our failures. Psalm 25, verse 2. Oh my God, in you I trust. Do not let me be ashamed. Do not let my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none of those who wait for you will be ashamed. Those who deal treacherously without cause will be ashamed. And just so you know that David doesn't have that confidence in the Lord because he's so good, listen to a few verses later in 6 and 7. 
Remember, O Lord, your compassion and your loving kindness, for they have been from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your loving kindness, remember me for your goodness sake, O Lord. I'll give you one more, Psalm 86, 14. This is all throughout the Psalms. O God, arrogant men have risen up against me. A band of violent men have sought my life, but... You, O Lord, are a merciful, are merciful and gracious God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness and truth. So my point with all of this is the if with giving ourselves to God's purpose, when you are giving yourself to God's purpose, you're giving yourself to God's perspective, the way that He views life, and the way and His priorities, what He values in life. That is what prayer is meant to do. Last one. Last P. Don't worry. Giving yourselves to the power of God. Because uh, the final thing that we find is that we also get to the point where, yes, we know what to do. Yes, we are even seeing what the Lord desires. But we also realize, going back to this idea of our own insufficiency, that we need the Lord. We cannot do what he has called us to do without him. We don't have the spiritual energy or power to do what we're called to do. And the reality is when we realize that God has us right where he wants us. That's what he's desiring. Listen to Matthew 6 verse 13. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You see, one of the ways that we give ourselves to God's power is when we are saying, Lord, we can't fight sin like we need to. You've seen that too much in my life. You've seen the reality of that. I can't do it the way that I should. Deliver me from evil. Or like Psalm 19, deliver me from secret faults and keep me back from the high-handed sins. But one of the things that really strikes me about the Bible and even about these Psalms is yes, there is this focus on, Lord, keep me from sin. But sometimes we have the tendency to even stop there in prayer. But that's not where the Lord stops. Even if we go back to John 15, we remember the whole goal is that we might bear fruit for him. God's not just looking to keep us from the negative. He is looking for all of us this year, 2024, yes, to stay away from the negative, but to do the positive, to serve and obey I love Psalm 25, 21. I think this is another great, succinct prayer that we can make as part of our prayer lives. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Now, if that's not talking about this abiding, giving yourself to God, let integrity and uprightness preserve me, because I wait for you. Yes, Lord, deliver me from evil, and then let integrity and uprightness be what, my, what defines my life. Obeying you, walking in your paths, recognizing my need of you, and then seeing you work through me. So, you are utterly powerless to live the Christian life on your own. Even though you have the word, you must use the word dependent on the one who gave it to you. I loved what Dave said in the last hour, when he said, it is not powerful because it's a magic spell. It's not like we just give, we just say something and all of a sudden everything's better. 
It's powerful because of the one who spoke it. And we need him. And it is when we, uh, when we seek, um, when, when we know this Lord, when his presence is with us, and when we are obeying in his power and in his grace, that we see this fruit. So, I want to wrap up. I just said our idea today is that prayer is giving ourselves to God, and we want to do that all through 2024. We want to have God reorient us. We want to do his purposes. We want to be in his presence. We want to know his power. So a few questions. When do I do this? Well, I would kind of say it's kind of like this. When, you know, if you're married or in a home, when do you talk to your family? When do you talk to your spouse? Well, the answer is all the time, right? All the time. What, the closest relationships that you have, when do we do it? Well, all the time. And this is even better. Yes, we, can, we now have cell phones and we can talk over distances, but God is everywhere. This relationship can go on at all times. So planned and spontaneous, privately and publicly, at home and in church, in joy or in sorrow, in wealth or in poverty, at all times, just like a good marriage or a good family, we are talking. How do I start? Well, think even here in Matthew 6, we're just going in this general area, we find Jesus says, just go to your closet, get alone with God. Jesus doesn't just say that, though. We see, if you just read through the Gospels, you see him doing this. He's finding a place. You, he, he had a place to go. Do you have a place? You know, sometimes that's, that's the tough thing. Do you, we, we have to set a schedule. We have to set a time. Maybe it's that prayer partner. But there's also that time for you and the Lord. Go to your closet. Whether that, for me, a lot of times around lunch, that is a, it's a walk. Um, Okay, we good? All right. <laughs> I mean, I could just stop right there. All right. Uh, let's, uh, I, I will finish. That, that might be my warning. Actually, that may have been Pastor Nate saying I'm over my time. So uh, he just sent it to everybody. So I'll, I'll, I'll wrap up. All right. Uh, yeah, well, let's just ask this. One more question then, and then I'll, we'll do that. What should I say? What do I say? when I get to the, my closet, when I get to wherever I am. Well, one of the things I love about this idea of giving ourselves to God, you just pour out your heart. Be personal, be honest. I love this idea of lifting up our soul, giving ourselves to God. That's what we have. This is who we are, and Lord, I am giving myself to you. But then also, going along with what we were encouraged just a moment ago, pray the scriptures. I love this idea of connecting what we read, whether it's in the morning, whenever you have your time with the Lord, what God speak, what you learn from his word, respond to in prayer. So how does all this fit with John 15? And our Lord saying, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Well, I think, first of all, this, all, this whole section is about union with Christ. That disciples, when they come to know the Lord, that they are connected to him in a vital way, like vine and branches. We can't forget that. This is a reality. You are connected to Christ, and so our prayer of giving ourselves to God all the time, abiding with him, is just an outworking of what is the case. So, uh, this just tells them to be allowing his words to abide within them, 
and then to go forward um, on their knees, if we could say it like this. So we can learn something from, from this. Though our union with Christ is different from his father, you can look at John 8, 25 and 29. And one of the lessons we learn there is Jesus' union with the father and the revelation from the father gave him confidence in his mission. Because when he was obeying his father's words, he knew he pleased the father. And so that's why I think these two tonight have been so neat, the way these go together, because as we take in the word, as we are conformed to our understanding of who God is and what he desires, it's then that we ask and it will be done because God is forming us in our perspective, in our priorities. He's giving us the power to do the very thing that he's already told us he wants us to do. So prayer is giving yourself to God on the basis of his word. When you give yourself to God as a result of your union with Christ, because of what you know from his word, in this dependence on prayer, he is going to be bearing fruit in 2024 in your life. So prayer is giving yourself to God. If you've already committed your life to him for all eternity, let's commit our days and our hours and our moments to him as well. And so let's do it together as we give ourselves to the Lord even now as we close. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for a conference like this that brings us to look into your word so that we can be more equipped to do what you have called us to do, to be your people, to live out this union that we have with our Savior. And we just ask that you will help all of us in 2024 uh, to be giving ourselves to you day in and day out, moment in, moment out. And Lord, that you will use this, as you say in John 15, to bear much fruit in our lives, we ask in Jesus' name, amen.